welcome everybody. Thank you for coming to uh, Circular Economy's Composting 101 workshop. And um, we're very excited to have you all join us today. And for those of you who are new to us, we're a design and manufacturing company that makes products from post-consumer plastic. Beyond that, however, we also promote sustainable living practices. So every month from now on, we'll be having expert guests join our platform, diving into different topics and aspects on sustainable practices, like composting and recycling, and how to incorporate these into our daily lives. For our first workshop today, we'll be briefly introducing our company and our mission before diving into composting and why it's so important to begin this practice if you don't already. And um, just to let you know, for future reference, you'll be able to find our workshops and our upcoming podcasts on our website, circulareconomymfg.com. So um, we've got our lovely panelists um, on here today. So I'll just go ahead and introduce them. First off, we've got Baron Roth, our director and co-founder of Circular Economy MFG. Um, Baron has abundant experience in the field, and one of these experiences was serving as the executive director of Sustainable Works in Santa Monica, California, where he um, had the pleasure of teaching green living, uh, green living workshop to community members there for three years. Um, then we have Maite Ortiz, who is joining us from Chile, and she's a designer with us. And we have Bella Lomasina, who is also a designer with us, um, and she's upstate in Buffalo, New York. She has plenty of experience with composting. She is a graduate from Parsons School of Design here in New York, and she based her whole thesis on composting. Um, and then myself, I'm Celeste Rose, and I'm a designer at Circular Economy Manufacturing. Go ahead and... Um, hand the microphone, if you want to, Baron Hi, guys. I know you're here for the Composting 101, so I'll make this very brief. Name of our company is Circular Economy Manufacturing. We're taking single-use plastic and turning it into well-designed, durable products using 100% solar energy in these portable micro-factories. So first we collect the energy and store it into a battery bank. We use those batteries to power a shredder that'll grind up the single use plastic. We then take the shredded flakes and put it into a rotational mold that we've designed specifically for this operation. The mold is heated from the batteries. It turns the solid flakes into liquid we let the mold cool, and the result is a hard plastic hollow product. So our mission is really revealed in our logo. It starts by trying to power everything from the sun. We need to be switching over to renewable energy in, in all forms as represented by the, the yellow band uh, around. The gray circle and arrows represent the technical cycle, which our company really focuses upon. The green upper arrows represent the biological cycle, where when we take materials out of the ground, we need to be able to put them back in safely. And all of these efforts are aimed at repairing and protecting our air, land, and sea. So the transition from a linear to a circular one is illustrated here, where rather than a straight line of materials coming out of the ground and into some form of waste, we look to capture those materials and 
put them into a cycle in which they are used over and over with the only input being solar energy. So as sustainable designers, we aim for cradle to cradle's vision of separating everything into either recyclables or biodegradable materials. Our process really focuses on the technical side where we're using recycled materials and turning them into products, but we wanted to also address the, the biological side. And so our first product is a simple food scrap collection bin that hopefully encourages people to participate in composting. The object itself is really simple, but the process can be intimidating for some people. And so that's why we really wanted to create this workshop that we're calling Composting 101. So Bella, you wanna take it from here? Yeah, thanks Barrett. Um, so in today's workshop, we're going to be talking about what composting is, why it's important, and some easy methods to get started. So what is compost? Compost is a nutrient-rich mixture made up of food scraps and organic material. This is also referred to as organics. Compost is added to the soil to improve and reduce the need for additives and chem chemical fertilizers. Everyone can and should compost. Um, composting residential food scraps is actually one of the most impactful actions anyone can take to personally combat the climate crisis and support a thriving local ecosystem. So before we get too far, I wanna break down two terms that are often confused, food waste and food scraps. Food waste or food loss refers to food that is not eaten. Food loss occurs when, throughout the food system, but basically it's when edible food for one reason or another doesn't make it to our plates. This is whole bananas, packages of bell peppers, whole apples, etc. On the other hand, food scraps refer to unavoidable food waste products from food preparation. This is apple cores, banana peels, vegetable stems, fruit peels, and so on. So when we're talking about items to compost, ideally, you want to be composting food scraps. The goal is to avoid composting food like a whole head of broccoli, for example. So now back to composting. How does this process work? First, you collect food scraps in a bin. And these ingredients that we're calling them include nitrogen-rich green material, such as fruit and vegetable scraps, and carbon-rich brown material, such as dried leaves and wood shavings. The ingredients are then processed, um, and we'll go through a few, a few of these different methods and how you can do them. And the result of this processing is compost. And the compost can then be used um, in farms, parks, and to, for your houseplants. So why should you compost? Um, as you can see here, here's some food in the landfill. Um, and if when you throw food in the garbage, it goes to a landfill where it breaks down without oxygen. This produces methane, which is a greenhouse gas that is 21 times more harmful than carbon dioxide. And methane is one of the most significant drivers of climate change. So this is contrary to belief because a lot of people think when they throw something in, a land, in the garbage and it goes to a landfill, it breaks down, but that is not the case. Um, for example, it could take 25 years for a head of lettuce to decompose in a landfill, whereas if it was thrown in a compost pile, it would take like four weeks. Um, landfill space is limited and creating more landfills is expensive, undesirable, and simply no longer an action. So by composting, we can greatly reduce the bulk in landfills while making use of this food product and producing a valuable fertilizer to regenerate life. Besides reducing, 
the volume of material in a landfill, composting also reduces household waste by 60%. When you are recycling and composting, you have very little material that is actually trash. I know when I started to compost, I also found that when I collected my food scraps in one place, I was really able to see what I was wasting. And from there, I was able to take action, adjust and reduce my food waste and save money, which is always great. Yeah, with the compost that you save, um, that's being directed to landfill now, you can feed your own house plants, you can nourish a community garden or help sustain the ecosystem of a public park. And money can't buy you a better fertilizer than the one that you can create with your own food scraps. So Project Drawdown is one of the leading institutes studying, climate, studying the climate crisis and finding the solutions to further combat it. Um, it has highly ranked composting as a necessary component to help with the future uh, levels of greenhouse gases to be reduced. It is still climbing and we need it to start steadily declining and therefore stopping the catastrophic climate change that is in the foreseeable future. Um, so now that everyone is ready to take action and start composting, we're going to go into a few different ways to get started. Um, this workshop is Composting 101, so we'll be introducing some methods briefly. And then in the coming weeks, we'll have a deep dive um, into other workshops with expert guests. So we're going to start with food scrap collection, the two of them being drop-off locations and curbside collection. So drop-off locations. Drop-off locations are the easiest, less ex least expensive way to start composting in urban areas. The only thing you need is a container and a plan. When I was living in Manhattan, this is how I would compost, but cities around the country also have similar programs. All you have to do is collect your food scraps at home and then drop them off at your nearest drop-off location. The site then takes your food scraps to a facility for processing into compost. The compost is then used locally in parks and gardens, but is also available to residents if they want it for their own use. The first step is to find your local composting site. You can do this by visiting Litterless or simply Googling composting um, in my area. In New York City, there are several sites open year round. Um, you can visit Grow NYC, which is a great organization to help find your compost site. And this map is great because if you click on the little um, pins, it'll tell you what days it's open and what times you can visit. So after you figure out where you're going to take your compost or your food scraps, step two is to get something to start collecting your food scraps in. Eventually, you might want to get a designated bin, but to get started, you can use anything. Um, some people get people love to get creative with this. Um, as you can see here, we have some some milk cartons, some tomato cans, um, anything anything is you can use. So now you have your bin, you know where to go. So now you have to start collecting your compostable materials. So the rule of thumb here is that if it was grown in soil, it is compostable. So these include most food items like fruits, fruits, vegetables, and coffee grounds, but also flowers and plant trimmings. Also, you can put non-greasy or glossy paper products. These are your brown materials. Um, so this includes ripped up paper bags and ripped up paper towels. One item that's kind of tricky are compostable bags. If you're using a biodegradable bag, please make sure that it's BPI certified. Even if it says it's biodegradable, this does not necessarily mean it's compostable. 
So if you're using a New York City drop-off location, you cannot put biodegradable utensils, meat, or dairy in your collection bin. Um, but these rules vary depending on what, what location you're using, what city you're in. So always check before you get started. Um, and then one universal material that is definitely not accepted are produce stickers. They are not compostable and they are one of the largest contaminants in compost piles. There's no way to process them out besides hand sifting through the compost. When I went to volunteer at a composting site in New York City, I was really shocked to see that volunteers had to stand there and hand sift through all the compost and pick out the stickers and other plastic like plastic bags. Um, it's much easier to make sure that there, no, there are no stickers in the food scraps you are dropping off as opposed to having these volunteers dig through tons of compost just to find a sticker that we don't want to end up in our parks. Um, so when you're using drop-off locations, no actual composting should be happening inside of your home collection bin. If you're, if you're dropping off once a week or bi-weekly, bi you might want to store your compost in the refrigerator or freezer. Um, I did this when I was composting using drop-off locations because freezing it um, prevented any smells, but it was also because I had more room in my freezer than I did on my small New York City apartment kitchen counter. Once your bin is full, you can take it, take it to a drop-off location um, depending on your neighborhood, uh, compost sites will look different. These are some examples of different compost sites in New York City. Um, a lot of the times they are located near farmer's markets. Um, I found it a very important part of my routine to enjoy a walk to my local compost site. Um, and if your compost site is near a farmer's market, shop around, help support, support the local farmers who are really doing the good work. And lastly, we have some compost drop-off etiquette. This is a free service to residents, so we want to help them out as much as possible. So if you're using BPI certified bags, first make sure the site accepts them. Second, make sure you empty the bags out and then empty the food scraps in the bag and then put the bag in. Um, this is so the bins can hold more and so it looks better to people walking by. Um, also, no plastic whatsoever. Um, I was amazed by the amount of plastic I picked out um, when I was volunteering. So just avoid it. And if you're not sure, just, just don't put it in. Um, and then paper bags. Paper bags are compostable, but they ask that you dump out the food scraps just as you would with a um, biodegradable bag and then rip them up. So there's they break down faster in the compost pile. So that's really all there is to it. Um, and then we're gonna talk about here, curbside pickup, which is similar in that you're collecting your food scraps um, and putting them in a tote. So if you're lucky, you live in an area that has curbside collection. It's kind of just like garbage or recycling pickup. Um, there, you can visit your city's Department of Sanitation website to see if curbside compost is available in your area to, and you can request a bin. But there's also a lot of local businesses that will pick up curbside. So um, yeah, and with curbside pickup, a lot more materials may be accepted such as meat and dairy. Um, this is because a lot of times curbside goes to an industrial facility where they have high enough temperatures to process items such as meat and dairy. And that's how you do food side collection. Thanks, Paula. I'm going to jump in and go through some of the uh, more uh, advanced methods. 
obviously the easiest way to get started is to just start collecting it into some type of container. Uh, and the, these next methods are when you're ready to make the next step. So this next process is called vermiculture or worm bins, where you're letting the worms do the work. This is a uh, aerobic process and you, uh, so you're exposing it to oxygen and you let the worms work their way up through various layers and eat the, the food scraps that you've put within a system like this. They usually uh, are two or three or more layers in which the worms work their way up through the system and when they've reached the top, you take that top layer off uh, and put it back to the bottom. And you, as I said earlier, you let the worms do the work. So they will work their way up through one layer to the next because there are tiny holes on the bottom of each of these layers. One of the, uh, there are two real benefits uh, of this system. You get the great solid material, which you can use to fertilize your soil as a soil amendment but it also produces this terrific tea. They call it uh, a worm tea. And this is the liquid uh, material that drains from the containers down at the bottom and you collect it together. You don't drink it, uh, but you apply it to your, your plants and it is a fabulous fertilizer. As anyone who has done this method can attest, this is one of the best ways to fertilize uh, your garden. Another method that we learned about recently during the pandemic involves the use of coir and ash. Coir is shredded coconut husks that are then compressed and dried. And when you add them to moisture from the food scraps, the shredded coconut expands greatly and ash helps with the balance of the material. So between the coir and the ash and the food scraps, when you mix them together, you get an amazing uh, soil amendment that you can add to your plants or your garden. You do have to be careful. The dried coconut is expands so much that if your dogs were to eat it, it could expand in their stomachs and be very harmful for them. So not a process to use around uh, dogs. Um, we uh, used this process in the summer and had terrific results. When the quarantine hit and, and New York City shut down the composting collection, uh, the food scrap collection in our uh, neighborhood, we were uh, building a pile of food scraps out on our deck and we ordered coir, we ordered ash, and we started mixing them together and overnight, the co shredded coconut and the ash took a really stinky, messy pile of food scraps and turned it into a beautifully smelling uh, soil that we started giving uh, bags of this away all summer. So really impressed with this method and look to uh, find ways to use it in the future. Aite, you want to talk about Bokashi? Yes, thank you, Berent. So the next method that we're going to briefly go over is the Bokashi method. Bokashi mi is the Japanese word for fermented organic matter. And basically what happens is that in an air sealed bucket or container, you start to layer organic matter. 
So that's your fruits, your vegetables, eggshells. And unlike the general ruling on the previous methods that we've mentioned, dairy and meat products can be used. Um, it is trickier since it needs more maintenance. You have to compress and move around the contents and the layers inside the container and keep it air sealed. Since it's a anaerobic process, it does not require or need any oxygen. Note that this is not a composting method, this is a fermenting method. And what's really similar to this method, um, to the redworm one, is that this awesome tea comes out. Uh, you need to pour it out eventually and every so often to avoid the smells. Um, but this concentrated liquid can be poured into your sinks, bathrooms, toilet, and it'll clean it out, prevent algae and clogging, and control order. It also contributes a healthy amount of good bacteria uh, to compete with the back bacteria in our waterways. And the best thing about it is this liquid can directly be used to fertilize your plants, and it's awesome. I used to do this in New York City and keep it under my sink. It takes minimal space and not too much cleanup. Um, and I used it to clean out my kitchen, my bathrooms, and my plants were very generous with their dose of Bokashi tea every so often. Thanks, Maite. Uh, we will have a, an expert come and, and we'll have a whole workshop dedicated to Bokashi. Uh, it's a method I wanna learn how to do successfully. So to bring our session to a close, I, I wanted to first uh, just reiterate that you just need to get started. It's not that complicated. You start collecting your food scraps. Uh, it can go into whatever type of container you can find. If you can have one that fits within your freezer, great. But the most important thing is to just get started. It's incredibly important that we uh, all start making this transition uh, and behavioral change in our lives. And it, it's a simple one uh, that we hope at the end of this, you are no longer intimidated by. And then lastly, uh, we've all learned a very tough lesson uh, about flattening the curve over this past year where the effort and the goal is to really reduce the number of infections and to spread them out in order to stay within our healthcare system's capacity to handle these new cases. Well, this same concept can be applied to the circular economy, right? So in other words, we know that there's going to be some built-in damage. We know that there, uh, the emissions that we emitted in years previous are going to create uh, an effect on our environment. But if we can spread out that impact, if we can uh, lengthen the time, then hopefully the goal is for us to all stay within our planet's ecological capacity to sustain life. So we can do this. We just need to get to work. Well, thank you very much. That was Composting 101 by Circular Economy Manufacturing. Thanks to our experts for sharing their knowledge and um, thank you to our viewers for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it and remember that you can refer back to this link in the future. So we've been having some really good questions come up throughout. Um, so we'll start answering those. And if you have any further questions, please drop them into the comment section and our experts will happily respond. Let's see, we have somebody asked a great question. Um, what is the difference between compostable and biodegradable? 
Um, so basically it has a lot to do with where it's being composted. So the, for example, in New York City, um, all the composting is being done in kind of smaller facilities that are all powered mostly by, you know, human hands, um, very little reliance on fossil fuels, very little machinery. So their compost piles don't get as hot or are rotated as much as they would be in a um, industrial facility. So industrial facilities can break down um, biodegradable materials. Um, whereas, you know, smaller facilities, they, they you need to have put materials in that are BPI certified compostable or home certified compostable. So another example would be if I put a um, biodegradable spoon in my backyard compost bin, it might take a very long time to break down because it's not being, you know, rotated as much or ground up or heated as high as it would be in an industrial facility that can handle those products. Uh, that's great, Bella. I would add for people that haven't performed any one of these um, processes before, one of the things that's uh, uh, that you quickly learn is that they generate heat. Uh, so if you're even if you're just collecting your food scraps and, and putting them in a pile, if you have a yard and just to put them in a pile, you'll see steam coming off of them because they're because uh, there's microorganism activity occurring, and that that process generates heat. When I did the quar and ash method, it was shocking to see the heat that was generated. Uh, when all of those uh, microorganisms in the food scraps began uh, working with the quar and the ash. And that heat is really important because that heat is what breaks down these um, new biodegradable plastics and, and, and other sources. And if you don't get enough heat, then it's, then it's problematic. Yeah, and as well with the heat, it also helps um, break down, I guess, seeds and things. So you don't start growing crazy gardens of random items. <laughs> <laughs> Which has happened. It has <laughs> happened, but hopefully eating it to a certain level avoids some of those problems. Yep. Great. Thanks very much for um, those answers. Here we've got a next one by Estuardo Ortiz asking, is composting being done in a large scale, perhaps industrialized manner, commercially sold? Certainly, uh, all over the world, there are different uh, industrial composters, uh, and yes, it's a very valuable material. Uh, it's one that um, individuals and businesses will pay for. So, if you, we can do it on our own, on a decentralized uh, individual scale, uh, we can reduce the amount of uh, fertilizer needed from some other source. So it goes back to this idea of this food has a is, is valuable uh, nutrients, and rather than trapping them in a landfill, we should be keeping them in that biological cycle where they can help grow some other future plant. Yeah, and, and compost is commercially sold. You can purchase it. I know, like I started a huge vegetable garden in Buffalo, and I had I didn't have enough compost here built up, so I had like. I called my local composting facility um, and they dropped off like a dump truck full of compost. So if you need it for your gardens, it's available in your area. Great. Um, let's see, going on to another question. We've got 
Abby Mayer from Wisconsin is asking, what does the BPI symbol look like? It's basically this um, green circle with a leaf and a tree. Um, and then BPI stands for Biodegradable Products Institute. Let's see what other questions. Here you go. Well, Estuardo Ortiz asked, what do you need to do Bokashi? I know we went through that briefly, but we're happy to, um, to expand on that. Yeah. So the things that you need for Bokashi are mainly a container that you can seal. Air sealed, completely sealed, since this is a antibiotic process, no oxygen can come in. Um, other than that, um, uh, you need a Kickstarter. So it's basically an activator for the fermenting process to begin. And other than that, you need to compress whatever contents you have inside of it every single day. And when that happens, the juice uh, begins to be released and collected at the bottom. Um, I know I saw another question um, by Alejandra Ortiz um, wanting to avoid the smell in her kitchen. The best way is to every time uh, that liquid accumulates at the very bottom of your container, if you're smushing it every single day, then it will collect. Um, and if it starts to smell or maybe um, I used to do it uh, bi-weekly, if not weekly, since I was just one person, it was um, my uh, food uh, scraps. I did it bi-weekly. Uh, but as long as you're taking that out, you can just use it directly for your plants or to clean your house. And that's all you need, really. Maite, when you used that system, did you did you did it come as a kit? So in other words, was it sold with both the container and the starter all together? That's the way I've seen it most recently. Yeah, my friend actually got a um, a Bokashi Kickstarter set and she was moving or something or couldn't do Bokashi anymore. So she gave me her supplies. I think she got them offline, um, online or in a naturist store in New York City. Um, but we will be having a expert um, coming in in later workshops to go more into depth about this. I used a mason jar that I had since it was only my food scraps. I didn't really need it to be that big. I see. So. Yeah, that, that's what I remember is like a, a kit. It all came at, at once. Thank you. Cool. Um, we have another question which we, I know we touched upon briefly. Um, Chen is asking, will the compost pile smell? Um, as Bella mentioned earlier, um, what you can do to stop from smelling, sometimes it doesn't even smell on its own, but what you can do is stick it in your fridge or in your freezer, and this will stop it completely from smelling. Um, I know Baron also had a great experience with the coir and ash um, composting, which on its own didn't produce any smells, is that right? Yeah, it, it, I, I was really amazed because in that situation, we had been piling up food scraps and it did smell, right? And we were, we were struggling to figure out what we were gonna do. Um, and then we tried this method and <laughs> it was incredible. And it went from being a really awful smell to one that um, smelled like a nursery. Um, it smelled like, you know, that rich um, earthy smell that you get when you open a bag of dirt or, or, or compost from a, from a nursery that's what it smelled like. And so I was I was really impressed with that method and, and looked to uh, do more uh, of that kind of composting in the future. 
Um, but sometimes people are concerned about it smelling in their kitchen. And that's really where you need to uh, modulate how, much, how many food scraps you, you let it pile up before you take it out to um, your drop-off location or your curbside pickup or go to one of these methods. So the first thing is to just start, start the process and a really simple way that people like, particularly in New York City, is to just take it and put it in your fridge or freezer because that uh, slows down the, uh, the process and prevents bugs and, and other things from trying to get at it. And, and then it just makes it really easy to, to take out of your fridge or freezer um, and deposit it in your, your next stage, whether that be a drop-off or a collection um, bin or one of these three other methods that we mentioned. And um, see, we've got somebody, we've got Mike Daguirre here um, asking, the cases you're creating look great. They are, are they going to be available in different sizes? Yes, I believe you're referring to our compost bins. Yeah, uh, eventually we'd love to have uh, a number of different sizes. Uh, the first one uh, we've created specifically so that it does fit well within uh, a freezer. Uh, but uh, uh, eventually we'd like to uh, have other sizes as well. And then Emma Bridges um, asked another question. Do city composting programs accept QA in city compost drop-offs? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's such a new process. I shouldn't say that. It's new to New York. Um, as, as reported in the uh, Times article in which I read it, for whatever reason, it hasn't uh, gotten the exposure in, in New York City. And so uh, when I showed it to uh, uh, composting uh, nonprofits in the city. They uh, they looked at it, checked it out with their hands, and then um, they took it. Uh, but I don't know if there's any official position uh, by the city, but that's something that we can look into and get back to you. Yeah, and also just to kind of, to that point, a little off topic, but in New York City, the compost processing facilities, um, they, so basically they're taking you know, our food scraps, um, which are the um, green materials. And then they're adding a lot of brown materials such as like wood chips and wood shavings. And they get a lot of that stuff from like the local area. So I know they get a lot of their wood shavings from local wood carvers in Long Island City. So there's a lot of cool things going on um, with that and a lot of community benefits as well. I'm seeing one by uh, Louise, uh, what not to compost. and. I really like the way uh, Bella put it. Um, you know, uh, maybe you can repeat it, Bella. The the bit about if it grows in the soil, uh, what was that line? I, I yeah, that. the rule of thumb is if it grows in if it was grown in soil, it can be composted. So you know, an orange grew on a tree that was grown in soil, or eggplants are grow in the soil. So that's kind of just like an easy rule of thumb. So it's mainly like all vegan, vegetarian. Um, vegetables and fruits, which they all are, um, are compostable. Um, that's just an easy rule. Um, there's then there's some like iffy materials. 
Um, so like what not to compost, it really depends on where you're taking it and what method you're, or what method you're using. Um, so it's kind of hard to give you like a specific, like don't compost. Cause like in New York city drop off locations, like they don't want, um, any meat or fish or dairy, but like Maite was saying in her, in her Bukashi bin, you can put, um, meat and dairy. So it really just depends on the method. Yeah. If you think about it you know, when an animal dies in nature, it degrades into the soil. Um, but that animal, you know, is picked over by other animals and and uh, it all of that material gets spread out pretty quickly as nature takes its course. Um, what the city doesn't want is, you know, so in other words, they if it was just one turkey, they could handle that one turkey. But if it's all of the turkeys after Thanksgiving, that's gonna be a problem. Um, so uh, I, I like that, uh, uh, the, that example because it's really about the, the scale in which uh, these processes can handle the material. And if you get too much of one um, source of meat, then you do risk spreading disease. So um, it, it's, it's not a, a clear black and white answer, but I hope that helps. We have another question here from Alejandra Ortiz. I don't think we did um, touch upon this one. I want to start Bokashi, but I'm afraid of the smell. Any tips to avoid the smell in my kitchen? I guess we went through um, smell in general, but not Bokashi specific smell. Um, might there is there any way that we can sort of avoid smell that's specific to Bokashi and not any other kind of compost? Yes. So. The origin of smell in Bokashi comes from the juice itself. Like I was speaking, once you're compressing um, the food and the layers of food every single day, that tea and that juice is going to be seeped to the very bottom of the container. So once you, it really depends on how much food um, it is that you are keeping inside that container. Since I was just me and my food scraps, I didn't need a container that was too big. I used a mason jar. And I used to take that liquid out bi-weekly. So as, as long as you're taking that liquid out and using it to clean your kitchen, your bathroom, to fertilize your plants, um, you shouldn't have any problem with the smell. I used to keep it underneath my sink, and it wasn't a problem at all. Um, another really great thing about Bokashi is that um, once the fermented bits um, are in, you can take half of it out or a portion of it and keep um, putting food in. And since that portion of the food that's already inside the container that you're leaving behind has already been going through the fermenting process and has the Kickstarter, um, it'll ignite the same process in the rest of the food that you put into. So whatever you take out, you can compost. And we will be having an expert to go more into depth about this. I learned everything online. So um, we will be having someone who practices, uh, has been practicing this for years to go more into depth and give us even more tips and advice. This has been great for, for our first one. Uh, really uh, excited to, to get these going and um, I'm looking forward to uh, doing more of these in the future. Thanks everybody for joining us and um, have a wonderful evening. See you next month.